Bunny and I stopped and I said, Bunny, pray for, that someone would come that would help make the thing work. And sure enough, in you walked and there was Jeremy. So that was good. So um, yeah, that's good. Reuben, you're going to be our help. Okay. So thank you for allowing me to be here. This is such a joy. Some faces I know and others I don't, but I'm looking forward to sharing what the Lord has given to me. Go ahead and open your word of God to Psalm 90. This psalm is accredited to Moses, who in this psalm is called the man of God. He's also called that in, um, Deuter- in, Deuter- in the Torah, but here he's called the man of God. Many scholars have noted that this was probably written by Moses during the day when he spoke to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. So right before they were to head into the promised land with Joshua as their leader. So near almost the end of his days. Um, Moses, of course, was not allowed to enter into the promised land because of his sin. Um, But he is called to give last instructions and blessings. And in this psalm, it appears prayer over and wisdom for those who will enter into the promised land. So being as these are Moses' last words and requests and prayers, I sense there was much for us to receive and contemplate over. So let's read. I'm going to read for us. um, Follow along Psalm 90. I'm reading out of the NASB. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, Or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. And in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. And toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contained 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Oh, do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad 
according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the kindness of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Well, in verses 1 and 2, so leave your, your Bible open. Um, in verses 1 and 2, Moses declares the Lord to have been Israel's dwelling place in all generations. Moses uses the name Lord, small letters, O-R-D, Lord, Adonai, as the name he prays to. It is the name that the Jews would have used instead of Yahweh, all capital L's, because it was such a holy name, and they were fearful of saying it out loud. Um, so in this, um, they, he addresses God as Lord, Adonai. This name of God gives the thought of ruler or master of the entire universe. Hudson Taylor says that if he is not Adonai, master of all, then he is not Adonai, master at all. So Moses, coming out of Egypt, where many gods were worshipped, has surrendered to God as Lord, master of all the earth. In Exodus 15, 17, Moses says of the Lord, You will bring your people and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary. O Adonai, which your hands have established. Moses identifies the Lord as having established the place that he will dwell and plants his people in that place as well. He makes word references in this Exodus 15, 17 back to the garden in Eden where God plants or puts Adam into the garden, the place in which God dwells. Dwelling place is so much richer than a refuge. A refuge is a place of escape from your trouble or your enemies. A strong tower is often used as a refuge. But the Lord says, yes, run to a refuge, when you need to, but to a dwelling place when you can. He says of a dwelling place that it's, it's where you go at the end of your day when you want to lay down your arms and your troubles and your sorrows and you're able to rest. It's the place where you rest. It's the place where you can be known and loved all at the same time. Jesus says we are to abide in him. He is our resting place. He is where we dwell and move and have our being. And this is who Moses is addressing in this psalm. Moses then declares that the Lord has always been our dwelling place. Even the mountains were born 
even before the mountains were born or before he created the earth. Here Moses sets the Lord up against looking at these created mountains. In our created world, the mountains reveal the majesty of the Lord. No one stands at the bottom of Mount Everest and looks up and says, I can make that. Mountains take our breath away. I remember in my 20s when I stood on a mountain for the very first time. I had a pair of snow skis on and I'd gotten off the ski lift and I looked down and sheer terror overtook me. Um, I couldn't move. Here's all these people coming off the ski lift and I'm just standing there in awe. I was so fearful that I would fall off this mountain. And I was only on the green slope. <laughs> you see, the Lord formed these majestic mountains to display his glory and worth and power. Paul says in Romans 1.20 that God displays his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature through what has been made. Isaiah says of God that he has weighed the mountains in a balance. But then God declares that these mountains are mere creation. Did you know the flood put them to level? But God is the one who raised them up. He is the God from everlasting to everlasting. He is the creator God. What glory and majesty is found in our God. So then after setting God against these created mountains, Moses begins to set man against God. And in verses 3 through 6, Moses describes the pinnacle of God's creation. Dirt people what he says. Moses says that man is mortal. He has an ending. Genesis 2 describes that God picks up this dirt, this mud, this clay of the earth and forms man of it. That our beginnings were in the earth. That's where we came from. And then in Genesis 3, God reveals that because of sin, we are destined back to the dirt as well. He says in Genesis 3.19 to man, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it, the dirt, you were taken. And you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This idea is circular. In Moses' times, the ancients believed time to be circular. In our days, we believe or think of time as linear. We envision our days like a long rope. We have a beginning here at one end of the rope, our birth. And then there are these valleys and, and, and mountains and hills along the way. And there's an end to the rope. 
and that's our death, right? It's linear. The line contains years of childhood and marriage and work and service. It contains joy and laughter and sorrows and tears. But we see our lives linear. But the ancients didn't do that. They saw it circular. In fact, Moses says, return or come back to. He says humans will come back into dust. It's what he said to Adam as well. So you start here in your dust, and you live your days as dirt, and then you come back to dust again. The Bible is filled with circular language. The rising of the sun to the setting of the same. The solar system, especially as Job describes it, is seen in a sphere. The wind swirls in its circular course, says Ecclesiastes. And even repentance is a circular um, event where you circle back to where you, became, you came. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 29 says, We are all dust and all return to dust. Every one of us ends up in the same place. Death. It's where we ultimately will end up. It doesn't matter who you are or what your days have held. We all end up at the end of our days dead. I grew up in the Catholic Church and every Ash Wednesday we would go to church and the priest would put ashes on our forehead to remind us that we came from dirt and death is our end. But then Moses in 4 through 6 reminds us that not only are we dirt, but we are like grass and we wither away. Solomon says, vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. We are a breath, a vapor. Our lives are fleeting. Like fog when you get in your car to leave in the morning for work, by the time you arrive, it's gone. So, he says, our, our lives are. David says in Psalm 103:15 that man's days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And then the wind comes, and it is no more. I sit with a bunch of kids on a playground three days a week, and in our playground out here at the church, there are dandelions galore. And this is what came to my mind when I read this. Was it, our lives are like a dandelion. It sits there beautiful for a period of time until the wind or some little kid picks it up and breathes on it. And then it is gone. Thus our days are a mere breath. And then we fly away. There's a picture that I found this week which I thought might help us see what this looks like. This might help us see what Moses is saying. So if you want to pop it up, is that it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, it's funny when you look at this, it's the most photographed barn in America. It's in Wyoming. The Teton Mountains are behind it. It's in Jackson Hole. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I don't, not sure. But anyway, when you Google most photographed barn in America, this is what pops up. Um, it's a good barn, I'm sure. I'm sure it serves its purpose. But the reality is that next to these mountains, its beauty fades away. It has little meaning when it's compared to the grandeur of these mountains. The mountains are where we to, are to set our gaze and meditate. We see the barn, but our eyes should quickly move to the mountains. You see, we are finite, small, temporary. But God is infinite, majestic, and everlasting. We are without worth, but God is all worthy. We are dirt, but God is glorious. And we are hungry for meaning and purpose. We are hungry for value and glory. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity has been placed in our hearts. But clearly, if we pursue purposes in our humanity, we find dirt. We find nothing. Solomon, the richest, wisest king, says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 that he lays out all things to find worth and value. He sought money and possessions and wisdom and vineyards and servants and he found it all to be vanity and worthless. If I focus on myself, if I am consumed by myself, I fail to see myself in truth. I cannot make myself worthy. I cannot make myself glorious. I can't give meaning to my days here on earth. Because of sin, I desire worth and glory for me. I desire to live for myself and what I want. I tell the kids in the after school program when we define sin that sin is wanting what you want and not wanting what God wants. It's what Eve did. Eve chose her desire. She took it and she turned from the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth, who is all glorious and all worthy and was dwelling right there in her midst, her creator God. My husband is notorious um, for reminding me that what I see as worthy today, when it's on sale, will end up in a garage sale tomorrow. Don't say that, really. And I look at him and I say, but Yost, it's so great. Look what I can do with it. Look at how I can make it worthy. <laughs> he rolls his eyes at me. And sure enough, a year later, I pull it out of the closet where it's been stashed and I sell it for a buck at a garage sale. I can't make something else worthy 
or glorious, and I can't make myself either. At the end of the day, I am merely dirt destined for dirt. Sin makes me a glory thief. Paul Tripp says this. He says that we're all glory thieves. Sin has corrupted the desire for God to be most glorious, and now I desire that glory for me. And I am so focused on being seen as worthy and glorious that I miss out on enjoying the one who is most glorious and worthy. It's like spending all my time looking at the barn and missing the mountains. Don't waste your days striving for your worth, for your glory, for your meaning. Moses tells us here in verse 10 that our days may contain 70 years, if really great, 80 years. I'm pretty sure some of y'all have extended even that <laughs> into your 90s. Yet, honestly, your days, their pride is only trouble and tragedy, and then we quickly disappear. What kindness of the Lord to show us our end. What God would show dirt people that we are dirt people and our end is away from him. What a God who would lead us to repentance. This is the kindness of this God. Verse 17 declares that the kindness of the Lord our God is upon us to show us truth and ultimate reality. So then Moses in verses 7, 8, and 9 remind us that because we have taken what is not ours to take, his glory, we are now due God's wrath, his fury, and his anger is against us. He looks at our deeds and our hidden sins and he declares us guilty. His fury is rightful and just. We cannot, in our flesh, appease his wrath. In fact, Paul says that we have suppressed the truth and now wrath is due us. Before an everlasting judge, we are without hope. Unless the worthy one, the one of all glory, comes and transforms us. Unless he comes and transforms the dirt. This is what happens by grace in Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ covers the dirt and the dirt is redeemed. The worthy God gives his son to the dirt and we become a new creation. In Christ, the dirt becomes a royal priesthood. In Christ, the dirt becomes a chosen people. In Christ, the dirt becomes a son or daughter of God. 
In Christ, the dirt becomes a saint, beloved of the Father. In Christ, the dirt is risen with him. In Christ, the dirt receives an eternal inheritance. In Christ, the dirt is redeemed. Only by the righteousness of Christ am I able to be made worthy, only if I am in Christ. Not because of the deeds that I have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy and kindness. Titus 3.5 Not because I'm beautiful or glorious or worthy. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 5 that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. In all my mess and all my dirty dirt, Christ came to transform me into worthy dirt. But how does he do this? Well, he steps out of glory and steps into flesh. He becomes like us, dirt creatures. This is what Jesus became. Hebrews 2.17 says, He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God in order to make propitiation for the sins of his people. I think it would be worth our time to turn to Philippians 2. Let's turn to Philippians 2. In verses 6 through 8, it says that Jesus existed in the form of God. And he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus laid aside his glory to put on dirt. And not only put it on, but then to end up in it. Because he died. Died and was placed in a tomb. But his blood covers and transforms us to be of worth. So if you are in Christ, your life has worth. It has meaning. You participate in Christ's glory. Your life and deeds have purpose and meaning, but only if you are in Christ. So this morning, if you are still sweating and working and toiling and pursuing worth and meaning on your own, see that your dirt is worthless. This is the kindness of the Lord to show you this. And I implore you to repent 
and present yourself to Jesus, the one with infinite worth, who came and put on dirt and flesh and dwelt among us so that your worthless dirt can be transformed into worthy dirt. Jesus lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father. And then he died a death for you. You who began as dirt, and you should end up as dirt because of your sin. But as our Redeemer, Jesus took our sin and died the death we owed because of our sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ before God. Jesus exchanges his righteousness for our sin. In the Kids Foundation, this is what we've been teaching them about the Redeemer, that Jesus is all right and we are all sin. And I make those two kids who've been Jesus right and man sin, and I make them exchange the sin of man is placed upon Jesus and the rightness of God of Jesus is placed upon man and and we become people then who can stand before our God Jesus he then resurrects from the dead and gives us the power to live a life of meaning and to do deeds of worth so in verse 12, Moses says that our days before death matter. We don't just get saved and live off our laurels. He says our days need to be redeemed. That we can live our days with purpose and with meaning. But we can't make our days worthy without his wisdom, without his presence. We need God to return to us. And he did this by his indwelling spirit. His spirit came to us when we are in Christ. So we need his wisdom to teach us to number our days on earth. As his people, we must live with a heart of wisdom to know how to rightly choose what is good and call it good and to deny evil and call it evil. Titus 2, 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly and godly in this present age. Yes, we need wisdom to number our days. Wisdom comes through the truth of the word by the power of the spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So, are you turning to the Lord and his word? No matter what the voice of this age says? Are you receiving instruction from his word in wise behavior? Are you standing on that truth? In verses 13 through 17, as we go back to Psalm 90, he closes us out 
and he cries out to this transforming God to transform our days on earth. He cries to the Lord. God, we need you to satisfy us in the morning with your grace so that we can sing for joy and rejoice all our days. Psalm 1611, David says that in the presence of God is the fullness of all joy. I need to sit with God in the morning to hear his voice. I need to learn from his word what he desires for me. Jesus tells the woman at the well that he is living water. And if she will just drink from him, she will never thirst again. She will be ultimately satisfied. What about you? Are you drinking from the living water each day? Are you taking refuge each morning with the Lord who satisfies your deepest longings? God, we need you to make us happy according to the days that you have afflicted us, Moses prays. Life is hard. Life is painful. And we are weary and our spirits are tired. Do you just wake up tired? I, I mean, I know I don't sleep well, but I just wake up tired. We have little strength in these days before we see our maker face to face. Oh God, give us laughter and happiness. Make our hearts delight in the days that you have given us. Make the soul of your servant glad because you are good. You are a good father and you give good gifts. Are you recognizing that all good comes from your Father and not from your hands? Do you have a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving before the Lord? Yost and I, um, de de dealing with a lot of health issues on both of our side, heard a pastor suggest this to us way back in April. And um, that was before a lot of things got diagnosed on his part. And this pastor challenged us each morning to lay our hands. I'm going to have to do this without the mic. To lay our hands before the Lord. And to say, today is a gift. And you are our good giver. Father, thank you. Nothing crazy, just something simple to remind us that he is the one who gives us good all our days. Moses cries out, God, we need you to make us zealous for your work. We don't want to waste our days with the stuff that can be destroyed or stolen. We want to have hearts zealous for eternal kingdom work. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you already prepared that we would walk in them. Oh, Lord, align our hearts and desires to do the work you prepared for each of us. Make known to us what kingdom looks like for each of us. And then may we lay aside 
all the other and trust you with that. Paul says in Ephesians later on that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called, not to which somebody else has been called. And finally, we lay all our lives before you, Lord. The work of our hands, the desires of our hearts, and the understanding of our mind. Oh, Lord, we surrender our lives to you who is most glorious and most worthy. And we ask you, God, establish the work of our hands. May our lives be for your glory. We don't want to do what we want to do anymore. We want to be vessels worthy of your son who came to redeem dirt people and make them worthy dirt. Let's pray. God, to think that you who formed us out of the dirt knew that your spirit had to be breathed into us before we would have worth because there's nothing of that dirt that we are that brings you glory outside of you. And in your son who came to take on dirt as well for our redemption, Lord, we say thank you that our days don't have to be fleeting. Our days do not have to fly away without purpose. But that, God, you have come to redeem us, to bring us back to yourself. God, thank you that your love is so good. Your kindness is so deep that you don't let us walk in our own understanding, but instead, God, you renew us. So come this morning and remind us, like Moses, that we need to number our days because our days are determined by you and we need your wisdom to know how to live in them. So we ask this, that you would be most glorified in our lives. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.